Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey, everybody. Good morning. Well, whenever you're listening to this, it's morning for me. Sunday morning, Froth here, Thought Eater podcast and blog. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Hope you're doing well, having a weekend filled with gaming. Um, Sunday morning, so if I'm podcasting, it's a Saturday night was a good one because I got to game and run my Night Below campaign. So this show, basically just recapping what happened in my uh, my campaign, I'm running the big old gigantic uh, massive high production value night below two E box set, uh, had been sitting on my shelf for a while and kept staring at me, give me the side eye when I looked at it. So I had to get into it and, uh, it's going well. I, I run a first edition AD and D BX kind of mashup game. And, uh, this is just a good excuse for me to talk about what happened and Gives me ideas to talk about different uh, gaming philosophy, house rules, how I do things, and that sort of thing. And uh, I actually had a call in from Goblin's Henchman. It's uh, goblinshenchman.wordpress.com. Really great blog if y'all haven't checked it out. Uh, Does a lot of, uh, just has a lot of creative ideas, uh, little tricks and Try different things and just ideas that wouldn't occur to me. I, I really enjoy reading that blog. Anyway, got a call in from the henchman. And um, it was kind of making reference to 5-Minute Friday, but uh, I realized uh, what what uh, the topic would be good for today. So let's listen to that real quick. Hi, Prof. It's Goblin's Henchman here. Um, I'm not quite so bold to go for a Jeremy on my second voice in or voice message not sure what we call it on anchor anyway just a quick message to say still enjoying the shows and and a possible idea for a five minute friday every so often in your night below actual play podcast summaries you um sort of allude to a house rule that you you're you have in place or um you, you you do and i'm just wondering whether um, you might want to give us a bit more detail on one of those in one of these five minute Fridays because you get me interested and then you kind of snatch it away before I find out what it's all about. Anyway, just an idea, no pressure, and um, obviously keep up the good work. Um, it's really, particularly enjoy the, um, the hump day bloggerama. Okay, cheers, fella. All the best. Well, hey, thank you for the call in, and uh, thank you so much. I, first of all, I'm thrilled that you um enjoy the podcast because i really enjoy doing it uh, in fact I, I love doing them I, um i love the schedule that i've kind of fallen into um keeps me thinking keeps me creative and doing stuff for gaming and um i was talking about on the last um hump day bloggerama i was talking about community and stuff about you know, putting your love for stuff first and doing what you love. Uh, and so that's what I do. Um, and then, then from there, it's really nice if someone else likes it. So, um, anybody that that's listening to this, that, that enjoys these shows and everything, I'm, I'm glad you do. Um, I, cause I love doing them. So second thing, as far as, uh, what to call me, I know I've made it, <laughs> I know I've made it, uh, 
as difficult as I can. I'm kind of stuck with the froths off in some ways because I, uh, I probably could have named my blog something better back in the day, obviously, but I, I didn't have any kind of foresight and I just used Frostsoft as a forum name and everything since I ever got on the internet and it's kind of, anyway, got stuck with it, but most friends will call me Froth as a nickname, but people can call me Jeremy or whatever. You call me Jeremy, call me Froth, call me Frostsoft. I know it's kind of ridiculous. A lot of people are like Frostsoft, what in the what in the world? Who is this guy? But Jeremy is absolutely fine. And then third, as far as the house rules go, um, I thought that would be good to talk about because that's actually the first thing I started with uh, with last night because uh, one of the players is completely new to the table. And it's um, <clears throat> a good friend of mine, but completely new to, uh, I mean, we played some and it was a different edition years back. Um, so I realized it would be good to kind of go over some things uh, with them. And then also with players, you know, with all the player death we'd had, uh, a lot of players were playing a different character, so it might be good to review it. Now, I will just say that I'm pr pretty traditional. It comes down to, to my D&D, like... Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff isn't this outrageous, you know, major change. It's more, um, which combinations I choose from which editions, I guess kind of makes the biggest bulk of the house rules, what I pull from where, but, um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm pretty traditional. Like I, I use save or die. I use level drain as written. Um, I, uh, I use racial, you know, class limitations and level limits and all that stuff that a lot of people are like the first thing they house rule out. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, when I talk about a first edition BX mashup, what, what I really mean is, with the, I use the player's options, basically from the first edition AD&D player's handbook. Um, and, you know, the dice are screaming. It's a podcast I listen to. Um, they made a good point where they're like, you know, they were talking about edition wars and stuff in one episode. And they said that people tend to, you know, whatever their first the first edition that they played or whatever is kind of what they'll defend and have the strongest love for and everything. And in this case, it's definitely true. Um, I mean, I do love it, but that might have something to do with it. Cause it's the, the first thing I played was now granted. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't understand the rules whatsoever. We rolled ability scores with a D 20, but, uh, it was first edition AD and D. So, um, I love the presentation of the first edition AD&D. I love the, so we're using the classes out of there, the spells from there, the equipment lists. Um, I use the, you know, the magic items, the random tables, everything from the DMG. So that's the, the base as far as the base options go. However, I ne don't like like the combat way it's all set up really at all like um so i ignore 
like many people ignore weapon versus armor class stuff and speed factors and all that. Um, and I don't pay really any attention to segments, so to speak. So this is where it kind of the BX comes back into it. I use the initiative system from BX, you know, just the D6 side base deal um, with the ranged spells and melee order. Uh, reaction tables, morale, that sort of thing, straight from BX, and um, and also use the BX movement. So um, basically, for armor, no armor is uh, you know in AD and D it's referred to as speed twelve, space one hundred twenty feet. So that's twelve. Leather armor nine, metal armor, bulky armor six. And so from there, a la BX, you're doing one third of that as the encounter speed. You know, so 40 feet, if your speed's 12, if we're on a grid, that's eight squares. 30 feet for uh, speed nine and uh, 20 feet for speed six. So as far as the actual... Uh, combat goes uh, i do kind of use a mix so ad and d opportunity attacks like if you leave combat are really brutal you're getting a like a rear attack which is plus two plus the stun which is plus four i don't know if this is even interesting to anybody but you're getting a bare minimum of plus six against anybody breaking off in combat and so i kind of use like bx where you can make a sort of fighting withdrawal but i simplify it to where you just have if you forego an attack you can move out of out of melee if you're going to attack and then move you're going to risk the uh opportunity attack i do charges as a plus two to hit minus two ac for a, a full round um and one thing that i do uh that has you know the fifth edition actually influenced me on you know sometimes we use Battle map, sometimes we don't. Most of the stuff doesn't come up at all in theater of the mind. But if we are using the map, I like the 5th edition rule where once you're engaged with something, as long as you don't leave its reach, you can move around it or whatever. And also, like you can move a few steps, you know, make a range attack, and then keep moving again. So I, I allow for that because I like that. It, uh, um it's just cool. It just works good with when you're using minis. Um, so I do use that. Let's see the other big stuff uh, with death and dying. Well, of course, oh, let me back up for a second. With crits and fumbles, crits I'll do double damage. And then fumbles I really like to just come up with something on the fly. So a lot of the times you'll hear about something happening when something fumbles. And I just let that just come into my mind based on the situation. A lot of the times it's something you might predict, um, like falling down, losing their weapon, but other times they'll accidentally hit someone else or something, just some misfortune happens. And some people really don't like crit and fumble stuff like that. So they're like, well, it's, this is a trained warrior and what, you know, um, Every time they roll a one, something bad's going to happen. Like 5% of the time, they, they're they completely inept. And I'm like, well, I like it to be fun, you know. It's fun for me. I think it's fun for the players. I, um, 
I don't play a real serious game. You know, it's not a total goof off, but I could never really run something like people talk about a grim, you know, grim, dark game. I could never keep that going. I mean, the setting might feel that way, but the tone of the game, the players and everything, it's never that way. Uh, one of the things I do house rule the most is uh, spellcasters, especially magic users. Uh, I always hated um, the whole way read magic works and having to use that to read a scroll. and It just seemed like overkill. And so I just let uh, the spellcasters... Um, be able to read magic. It's just an innate ability. Also, don't like having to prepare detect magic, at least to an extent. So I make detect magic be something that can be cast uh, just completely slotless once a day. Kind of like they have a spidey sense or something. So they can read magic automatically. They can detect magic once a day. And then I've switched... Uh, completely over to spontaneous casting meaning you're still limited by the amounts of spells per day and at what level but you can cast anything from your spell book um, and for clerics that means anything off the spell list i think this makes it a lot more fun for players and it makes it a hell of a lot more fun for me as a dm because you see spells that you normally wouldn't see otherwise you can't blame a player for just Preparing sleep, you know, because it is, uh, it's a matter of life and death. A lot of the times be able to put so many things to sleep, and help in combat. But then, you know, you'll have sessions where there would be no opportunity for that to come up. And it could have been a lot of more interesting opportunities to do other things. So, um, I've found that it's not game breaking at all. Uh, they're still limited by spells per day and the power level of those spells. So. That's something I would recommend anyone uh, just at least trying, even if you have a uh, aversion to that. Try it in a one-shot or something. I think you'll see that, uh, hopefully you'd see uh, and like it as much as I do. For clerics, it's really great because then they have this huge spell list and they can really uh, come through with the utility. You know, you might actually see them. You know, you're out in a bog somewhere and they, they might actually purify water. <laughs> When was the last time you saw someone purify water, right? Um, let's see. I let them max hit points at first level, and then they can take the average or roll uh, from there if they want. I'm trying to think if there are any other major ones, because some stuff just comes up when it comes up. So it's really probably not that exotic and exciting, what I'm doing. Uh, but... I say that, but then when, when someone's playing and and this stuff's coming up, a lot of it seems new to them, or maybe it's not the way they would do it. So yeah. this is all just stuff that over years of play has just kind of felt right for me. Um, oh, I guess death and dying. Uh, I kind of, uh, you know, I don't do negative hit points or something, so you're, you're down at zero. Now, if you got you know, your head cut off or thrown into lava and something like that. I mean, you're dead, dead, you know, but, um, if, if a, you can get some magical healing on you within like a few minutes, um, you know, pretty 
immediately. I kind of treat it like a magical healing at that point is like kind of magic CPR or something. So if you just got stabbed, you're dying, and the next round the cleric runs over and gives you a quick, you know, cure light wounds or whatever, I'll let it bring it back. Um, and I just make a judgment call as to what, uh, you know, what would be a permanent death at that point or not. Um, so... In, in some ways, I guess I'm, I'm more forgiving than uh, than some systems are. But even with my rules, we still have, you know, people don't make it. So I think it, it balances out fine and feels fair to me. I guess some of this is how, how I would want it as a player. So that's kind of a nutshell on the house rules there. I don't know how well I explained it. If uh, anybody ever has any specific question about something else, they can let me know. Um, oh, I guess uh, for another thing too, I've mentioned this before, but I don't make, if thieves can get uh, around the back, I give them the backstab. So if it was just a single target, I'd make them try to move silently and all that. But if they're in combat and can get a rear attack, I go ahead and give them the backstab. I think it makes thieves a lot more fun. It makes them kind of like glass cannon uh, badasses. So that's another thing that I do. Uh, yeah, the assassins at a three-time backstab right now with a, uh, I guess, a long sword. And whew, lordy, if he gets that off, it, uh, it's impressive. Nice little burst of damage there. I'm trying to think anymore. I don't have any more. I hope that wasn't boring for you, henchman, uh, or anybody else listening. But if you're wondering about the house rules, those are the ones that I can currently remember. All right, so let's get to the actual game. I probably spent more time on that than I intended to, but it takes a minute to explain all that. And, um, anyway, last session was uh, it was fun. I, I I laughed. Actually, my face hurt from laughing when we got done. So. It was one of those great <laughs> sessions where there's lots of fun and laughter. And uh, so, if you remember from last session, you know I had introduced all these new new PCs, new characters to the game from the deaths that we'd had, and uh, the players are still following up on these kidnappings and disappearances. And uh, their last major lead was uh, going to this area, the Great Rock Dale, which is like a ravine kind of a chasm uh, and the last kind of wild area of the Heronshire Valley. And uh, it's basically not developed very well in the Night Below box set. You know, it mentions a little bit about it, but it doesn't really map it out. It doesn't have a lot, you know, encounters and stuff. So as it is, this uh, kind of ravine with all this, all these caves filled with humanoids. I know last last uh podcast talking about this i think i said demi-humans i meant humanoids i mix those up all the time when i'm talking <laughs> and only realize later so this is not a dark sun game where the uh the caves are filled with uh you know ravenous um halflings uh, i meant humanoids and also i know some of my players listen to this it's not like a tough thing to guess but you know i, I saw an opportunity to to use another module here uh, that involves kind of a ravine with a bunch of caves filled with humanoids not far outside from civilized lands. I think you can probably guess what I'm using, but I do, uh, as the players are 
a little bit higher level than that classic module requires for overall. And because I'm using the Night Below campaign, it's given me an opportunity to kind of reskin some things or just uh, boost it a little bit or tweak it to where it's not uh, exactly like that uh, classic adventure. Um, but uh, it was a good good base to use. So anyway, they had begun last session to uh, explore one of the caves there. And uh, they... Uh, so last session they had made a little bit of noise um they're in this kind of cave it's got this evil vibe there's like veined red and black um uh, stone you know like a, the stone has been influenced by evil and they had encountered some zombies and ghouls that they had turned away and that's where we started so they started to explore um a little bit they there were a couple of doorways and uh, they also saw this one chamber with this weird uh, red and black mosaic kind of stone tile work and this uh, tapestry with this evil imagery of um, some kind of dark shadow, you know, tearing apart a human um, with like dark sky and all this bleak imagery and stuff. So first they kind of checked one one door and saw that it went further down into the dungeon this was very much like a kind of dungeon crawl it was nice to just get back to sometimes just a good old dungeon crawl just a breath of fresh air like i love it uh, um so that's kind of where we we're starting with this and then they decided to not go down the the dark stairs right then they were gonna check out this uh this other door and inside there there are these four uh kind of cultist kidnapper clerics, you know, tying into the Night Below campaign, kidnappers. So we had a little short encounter with them. Um, one thing I like about clerics, evil clerics, is uh, how effective some of the low-level spells are. Um, command is a great one. Because uh, you don't, you know, you could do it from 10 feet and uh, it's really effective to make something flee combat, even though it just lasts around. Uh, but, and then also um, touching someone and uh, causing fear as opposed to removing fear. Those are really great if you uh, want to throw some evil clerics into your game, even at low levels, they can really cause some havoc. Uh, great little enemies to use that. Don't have a lot of hit points, um, you know, but they can pack a wall up if they get some of their spells off. So um, that was fun. Meanwhile, the turning had worn off, so the undead start creeping back that they had turned before. And uh, Puck, the uh, thief, was really creative um, with slowing some of them down. Had laid all these, had started to hear them coming, and had taken the time to lay all these caltrips down. And then when the undead kind of started just mindlessly walking into the caltrops, uh, that caused some damage and slowed them down a little bit. And then uh, Puck had scattered, uh, put some oil all over the floor and threw a torch in there and lit them on fire. So before those ones even made it, they kind of like all collapsed at Puck's feet dying. So it was like a kind of epic, great job on Puck's part. After looting the 
evil cleric bodies, they kind of went down another passageway and they found this room where there was this dais um, with two stone thrones on them uh, that each had large red gems kind of embedded into the thrones. But propped against the walls, there were these four skeletal figures in robes that were just kind of propped against the walls. And they kind of went in and they didn't animate or anything, but they, you know, you see something like that, you know, you know, it's one of those, all right, the second I do something, something bad's going to happen rooms. And, um, they kind of tried to talk each other into doing something in there, but they all just kind of let, ended up leaving that room alone. Uh, you know, Sometimes when you see something like that, the risk maybe isn't worth the reward, and it was a kind of an obvious uh, something could, bad could happen in here. Um, so they just, maybe they'll come back to it, but they left it alone for that. So, so far, it's just been kind of a normal, uh, you know, dungeon crawl kind of session. But they went back to this other room that I mentioned before with the red and black mosaic stone floor and the the tapestry with the evil imagery and everything and they, they go in and there's this altar that's uh, bloodstained years and years and years of bloodstain and on the altar there are also um, bronze items a, uh, a bowl a couple of goblets and this pitcher and they're all stained with blood as well like cultists have been in there for years drinking blood and everything oh i guess i should mention too before i forget on the evil clerics and kidnappers they could smell this fishy stench that they recognized from uh, earlier in the campaign every time they've encountered these kidnappers they've a lot of them given off this nasty fish stink and they had found these potions uh, before at the broken spire keep that they were all all the cultists were being made to drink and uh, makes them give off that smell and uh, one of the thieves that they had Freed slash captured at one point had told them that uh, all the cultists and kidnappers would drink them and have these weird nightmares about the deep and the, the dark mother and stuff like that. So they knew that they'd been drinking this uh, this stuff, these cultists, and uh, they took the robes from the cultists to maybe use disguise, and some of it had some of that stuff all... Um, soaked into them because they had broken a, a pitcher of the stuff in the other room so they're wearing these robes that are covered with like blood and guts and brains and uh fish this fish potion juice this nasty stench so yeah they're um they, they back in the jumping back to the other room with the tapestry and everything it's got these four large pillars and like i said these bronze items on this altar so they could tell that some bad stuff has happened in this room, obviously. Um, and um, the cleric, uh, the uh, new, um, the new cleric, uh, decides to go up and, and he starts handling this uh, this stuff, and uh, it immediately triggers a, a saving throw. It's Father Marcus. He used to be Mabeldob. Uh, now playing Father Marcus, so Father Marcus goes up and starts handling the 
the, the bloody bowl and everything and fails the saving throw. So at this point, I have to send a private message to, to Father Marcos as he's fallen under uh, this kind of, they don't know exactly what, but this evil, like demonic influence of some sort. Um, they don't know the real nature of it or what to do about it. But so it really made for this interesting role play scenario. Because uh, now Father Marcos is having to portray himself as, you know, influenced by this evil and everything. And the party's having to react to that. So um, the dwarf puck actually went up to maybe try to just slide some of the stuff into his bag to keep it but passed his saving throw and realized that uh, it's better just left there. But now the party's dealing with uh, evil, evil Father Marcos in their own party. So Ariel um, casts color spray and puts Father Marcos to sleep. They didn't know what else to do. And so they tie him up and head out of the cave with Father Marcos. And Father Marcos comes to and is obviously still under the influence of evil. So we're trying to think of what to do. And so Zanril, the cleric of Zagig, decides that, you know, while he's asleep, paint a mustache on him. Kind of mess with him like you would maybe somebody that fell asleep at a party or something. I don't know. It was funny. And uh, they're still trying to decide what to do with him. Um they end up having to kind of carry him and climb back out of this place. So that took a minute. And then he's coming to again and they're trying to decide one of the cast sleep on him. They're having to keep put him to keep putting him to sleep while they decide what to do. Um, some of them joked about taking him back to that one room that they decided to leave and not explore with the, the two thrones. And uh, one of them said, Maybe it'll heal him. You know, it's this room that they wouldn't even mess with. And then they're like, well, we could just go sit him in one of those chairs. Maybe it'll heal him. All right. Um, and eventually he woke up again. And it's funny. The players that play uh, Cass and Father Marcos are married in real life. And they have a great... Um, great usually have great banter and stuff between them at the table it's, it's really uh can be really funny and so Cass said that well you know can I just you know knock him out I was like will it cause any damage to him you know with the with the the, the handle of my sword I was like well yeah it's gonna cause damage to him you know you're gonna be beating him over the head and uh, then she said that, well, they didn't want to keep wasting spells, so could she choke him, you know, and just kind of choke him until he falls unconscious? <laughs> and I'm just picturing Blair that plays Father Marcos sitting there listening to his wife say that. It was so funny. But I said, yeah, you can, you can definitely choke him and try to pass him out, but I'll say there's like a slight chance you could kill him. And so uh, we rolled... I said there's a 10% chance, you know, she'd go too far and, you know, choke him to death. And so he's having to, you know, he's, of course, having to just put up with this and listen to it. <laughs> uh, so that this started the laughter. I got to the point where I, I really lost it. You know, if you sometimes, 
it's great when it happens. It's all too rare, but we laugh so hard that, you know, you can't, you can't get come back to normal for a minute. You're like you can't stop laughing. I actually hit that point last night in the game. It was, uh, um, it was funny because, so she chokes him and, uh, it, it doesn't kill him. It just puts him out. And it was kind of like, we were talking about how it was almost like, uh, you know, autoerotic asphyxiation, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then she said, well, only it's not autoerotic asphyxiation because that would be when you're doing it to yourself. And I said, well, so this was just erotic asphyxiation, like just terming, uh, choking the cleric until he's unconscious because he's under some kind of demonic influence as erotic just struck me as hilarious and, uh, Sometimes when you talk about stuff, it was like you had to be there, and I realize it's kind of like that, but you could probably imagine how it was funny, and I just lost it for a minute there, uh, thinking about, you know, the the whole situation had just gotten to the point where it was over-the-top ridiculous, and when she finally was choking him to death, uh, you know, choking him to unconsciousness and, and everything, it just tickled me, so, well, the party... Um, had kind of tried to think of anyone that could help them, you know, in the Heronshire. And there, there are some, you know, kind of name NPCs, you know what I mean? Uh, but the, the, the cleric from, um, Milbourne, Sam Hayes has already disappeared, been kidnapped and Sam Hayes is lower level than they are to begin with. Um, the two main, you know, the two wealthy landowners and, and everything, Lord Carmen and Lord Parlfrey, um, are not really casters or anything. They're just rich. And, um, so they, they remember from the very beginning of the campaign, the whole way this campaign starts is taking an item to this mage Towster that lives in, the um, Thurmaster, which is basically, if you think Milburn's small, um, Thurmaster is basically just a, you know, calling it a Thorpe is probably being generous. And even then, it's uh, as small as it is, it's even seen better days. So it's just abandoned buildings and farms and businesses and, and everything there. But Towster lives there, kind of hiding out in the little wizard's tower. And he's this old, aged mage that actually... Uh, that Jel Henneth, the, uh, the disappeared, uh, uh, a, a little mage apprentice that had disappeared. She was his apprentice. So they haven't seen Towster really since near the beginning of the campaign. So the only one that still even has ever met him is the assassin. But they decide that the only option they have to try to find out what's going on with, um, with the, uh, with the cleric is to try to take him to Thurmaster and talk to Towster. So that's what, uh, kind of how things let, let off. They, they kind of rode through the rest of the day on their horses to get to Thurmaster. Uh, they didn't encounter anything. And so they, uh, as they're pulling up, you know, pulling in a Thurmaster with, uh, with, uh, the choked out, Father Marcos, uh, under this demonic evil influence, um, of an unknown nature. And that's where we left off. So we'll start next session with them, uh, 
uh, trying to get to the bottom of it, trying to help Father Marcos. I don't know if some, sometimes it, <laughs> it didn't seem like they wanted to help Father Marcos. It seemed more like they were enjoying hurting him and <laughs> messing with him <laughs> while he was sleeping. <laughs> he was the player playing Father Marcos was a really good sport through all this. Uh, it was so it was really funny. Uh, I, I have to admit when when I was planning. And, you know, knowing which cave they were in and everything and seeing that room, I was really secretly hoping that someone would fail, would handle that stuff and fail a saving throw because I knew it would make for not just good role play, but I knew it would make for a lot of amusement on the DM side. <laughs> uh, and so that's what it was. That's what it amounted to. Anyway, I uh, had a really good time, uh, fun time, fun players. And uh, so I'm looking forward to next week. So anyway, that is what I've got for y'all this morning. Uh, talked about my house rules. I know I rambled a bit about that, but you know, someone was interested in it, and uh, it does. I realize now it does kind of set the stage for a lot of what I talk about. If you kind of can hear all that, some of it might make more sense when I get to it. Otherwise, I uh, hope you enjoyed hearing about what happened. Uh, if anybody ever has any call-ins about this, ways that y'all did something, if you recognize, if you've run the night below or want to run it, and there's anything you want to comment on like that, I do keep it it's pretty spoiler-free because I might have players listen to it, but once something's happened, I don't mind talking about it. So if there's anything like that that ever comes up y'all want to talk about, if you got the Anchor app, you can just call in and I can put you on the put you on the show. Otherwise, you want to contact me, it's frothsoff, frothsof at gmail.com, frothsoff on Twitter, frothsoffdnd.blogspot.com, com, com, com.